0: you
1: Who
2: cares? It's Hogan Johns.
3: It's really cool just to see how much the city of Chicago, you know, the Bears organization, the Bears fans show love to a family that they barely even know. It is amazing. I love it. From
0: NBC, NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Adam
3: Ho. There's no ducking anybody in the NFL. Like the Lions still have NFL players.
0: And from the a- from the Athletic,
4: it's Adam Adam Johns. You know, hasn't Justin Fields it enough to at least pique your interest to see what he? I can do yeah. with them too. It's the
3: Adams. That's the best in the city
0: of Chicago. Hogan Johns.
3: The Adams converge, and we are underway. What's up? Welcome in, Hogan Johns, with you to give you our second episode of Super Bowl week. I am still on uh, the glorious Radio Row, as they call it, in Los Angeles. The Ice Box is what I call it. Z's in his living room. What's up, buddy?
4: You're just saying it's cold because it's what 90 degrees outside?
3: It is. It is. The, what's and the, the, the
4: forecast for Super Bowl? Uh, like 90 degrees I heard for Super Bowl Sunday. So, and I heard
3: one complaint about that stadium is that when it's really really hot out, it kind of turns into a um what's it, like a, um not a green room, a green uh, you know what I'm talking about? Where they grow plants. Greenhouse. 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 Because you know how it's open on the sides, but the roof on top, it just, the heat. I think it was when the Vikings played there. Someone was telling me that when the Vikings played there, it was just super hot. And, like, it keeps the heat in. And, like, it's one one design flaw about what, what is otherwise an amazing stadium. So, I don't know if that's going to happen me. Sunday. I mean, kickoff would be, what, about 3.30 local time here Three thirty. 3.30 local yeah. time.
4: So, sun will still be out, I believe, at least for a couple hours, so. I think when people uh, they they have to realize that that stadium is actually not that tall; it's just deep. Is that a great way to describe it? Yeah. Well, it goes straight it is, down. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's it's truly like an auditorium. You walk in at ground level, then it goes down like an old auditorium would.
3: Yeah, it, it's like and a it's Roman auditorium. And even though you know it's coming, it you're not prepared for it because you like walk in on the third level, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. Like you're just looking down into a canyon. Um, it's really cool, though. It's a cool setup, and I. So think how it's,
4: far is Radio Row from SoFi?
3: Um, you know the distance from downtown to um, to Inglewood. Oh, it's like okay, should be uh, 13 minutes with no traffic, uh, but it's LA, so it takes an hour. <laughs> mm. You know,
4: still beats that one we covered in New York. We had to get on the bus with the police escort all the way out to New Jersey for availability.
3: Yeah. Um. No, and that's how it was in Miami a couple of years ago, too. It was just a horrible, horrible setup. But so this has been pretty good down here in LA. And and, and you know what I got to say? It's like it, it's been 30 years since the Super Bowl was being held in Los Angeles. This is a place the Super Bowl should be held. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's 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 great weather, great great city, great area, you know. And so I uh I'd be fine if I, it was I at the Rose that, Bowl, but I, I, you know,
4: it's still cool. Yeah. That'd be sweet. So I I covered that Super Bowl in New York and John Fox of all coaches was coaching in that game. And the Broncos availability was on a boat in New Jersey. This, this giant, I don't know, like a, not a tug boat, but like, a, you, you think the they fairies, can have like right? casino games. Yeah. Like a yeah. ferry. And, but it would sway. And I still vividly remember everybody feeling the sway of <laughs> the boat. Cause of the water. And one of the Broncos in the players, blue chunks, he, he threw up. Oh my God. Like, That was a thing. So hopefully there's no throwing up at the player availability there, but I remember that vividly. One of the Broncos players, I don't remember who, so not that vividly, throwing up on the boat. In new Jersey getting seasick docked on a river
3: that's a <laughs>
4: during media availability
3: that's a new one all right uh well welcome in Hogan Johns here with you can follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue at Adam Johns and uh read us a lot of good coverage this week uh for me in LA and M- uh NBC Sports uh you and Ken- Kevin have everything covered uh on the athletic uh from back home and there's plenty to talk about today uh with the Bears coordinators being introduced over Zoom um, and uh, so us getting to hear from these guys for the first time, and we're going to bring a lot of that to you. Uh, make sure you're following us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button so you can be watching us. Hit the notification so you know when the episodes go live. And uh, we appreciate everybody have done that. All right. First impressions, Johnsy, with uh, Alan Williams. The order was Alan Williams, Richard Hightower, Luke Getze today.
4: Um... They won their press conferences over Zoom? <laughs> does, 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 is that a thing? Can, can coordinators do that? I, I mean, Al Williams seemed like he, he struck me as seasoned, a, as someone who knows what he wants this defense to be, who is coached in various places, who likes Matt Ibrafus' style, but also will draw on his own experiences, his own experiences when he was the play caller in Minnesota. So I, I was impressed by him. Luke Getze, it'll be interesting to see like his evolution with us, I think, because it's all great now. But when Justin Fields is struggling or Justin Fields is having a bad game or a wide receiver is running the wrong route, that's when it gets interesting for the offensive play caller or the offensive coordinator because he's the voice of the of, of the offense. At least in, in Allen Williams's case, you have Matt Eberflues could be the voice of the defense as well.
3: Yeah, I think that came across when Alan Williams was asked about what stamp he would be putting on this uh, defense, and he basically said all the same things that Matt Eberflus has talked about. Um, By the way, can I bring up one thing? Can you hear the guy yelling in the background doing a hit right now? I can Okay, yeah, so yeah. this is a... This Who is, is a, it?
4: <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know.
3: I don't know. But So I went to the comedy store Let's last night. to sign
4: and find out.
3: No, I, I went to the comedy store last night with Pat, our friend Patrick Finley, right? And and actually, one of the comedians did uh, a really funny bit on the good things about the pandemic. And one of them was that for the first time in our lives, people are actually respecting personal space. And... Uh, and now that's starting to go away. All of a sudden, I'm realizing that here at Radio <laughs> Row, like you, could just have a guy pull up like five feet away from you and yell into a microphone when uh, other people are trying to record things. But you know, I just think an aside. Aaron
4: Donald's going to crush Joe Burrow. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like,
3: all right, you know, uh, where our station is for NBC. we were just
4: talking about how nice and spread out it was.
3: I know that's what I'm talking. But this guy pulled up. That's what I'm saying. He didn't. He just stopped over here on the floor next to us. Like five feet away, it wasn't at his own table. Yeah, I, I just wanted to him. see if you could hear him or not because I could hear him.
4: <laughs> yes, Yell
3: Now him. everybody can hear him. Yeah, now uh, going to be. Uh, I think we scared him away now. Eavesdrop. Which is good. Which good. is good. Hey, Paul Paps is right there. There you go. There's a guy. Uh, he's a he's a long time bear guy. I don't even remember what we were talking about with Alan Williams, but you know, he's
4: he seemed when to you talk to him, you could get it. You get a good sense of of his experience. Yeah,
3: no, I think that that definitely came
4: across today. Was that just Roy Robertson Harris that just walked by behind you? No,
3: it wasn't. But I could see why you thought that. Yeah, he was very tall. <laughs> it wasn't. He had the same, similar hairstyle than when he was here with the Bears. Yeah. Um, do we want to play some of his audio already from uh, Allen Williams? You tell sure. me.
4: So well, we had, had Luke Getze up first. Okay. Yeah, let's get... You, you want to start with Alan Williams? Let's well, go with you Luke know what? No, no, wants no, no. to know what's... Yeah, let's
3: go. People care about Luke Getze more. We can get to get to some of that good Alan Williams. I do have some things on Alan Williams I do want to talk about, but um, let, let's hear from Luke Getze a little bit. So, he's really the, right, the star of the show. The guy everyone wanted to hear about. The big the big hire from uh, Green Bay. And, uh, you know, here's just a big chunk, I think, from the Bears' new offensive coordinator and then we'll react. <laughs> Hey, Luke,
2: Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. Um, when you think about your philosophy and your vision for an offense, what are kind of – obviously, you, you've been around a lot of coaches. I'm sure you have a lot of aspects and concepts you like. But what are the same, some of the things specific to you that that, that is like the Luke Getze kind of
3: philosophy for what you want to see in an offense?
1: Well, I, you know, thanks, Kevin. Um, you know, I've kind of alluded to that already. And we talked about the type of people and the mindset and the relationship. That's the first thing that's going to be important to, to us. Um the beginning of this thing when we try to establish that identity or you know we're we're establish a culture first but then we're going to dive into this identity right that's going to be driven by the personnel the coaching staff and we're going to become something there's not one specific answer to that right now um we have to dive into what everybody does best right and it starts with the quarterback right this is a quarterback driven offense so the things that the quarterback position does well that's going to be the driver of who we are and then we're going to marry that to what the other guys on the football field do well. I mean, that's the, that's the purpose of the offense coordinator, right? To, to dive into what the people do well, what they do best, and then, and then uh, build the, the
3: the offense around that.
2: Next question, Adam Hogue.
3: Hey Luke, Uh, can you give us an idea of how important the uh, play calling aspect of this move in your career was? And uh, if you don't mind, can you, kind of run through what your play calling experience is, whether um, I, I think that would have been at the college level. But can you just kind of give us an idea of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about, you know, furthering your career, Why? Wh- what play calling would do. Is that what you're alluding to right there?
3: Yeah, and just the opportunity to, obviously you were working under an offensive coordinator and Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, and now you are got a defensive head coach here, and this offense is... Sure. You, you, no, no, you, you You're looking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. Thanks, Adam. No. Uh, no. Listen. The, the 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 passion that I have for this game and the um, the passion to take the reins was something that is just it's it's deep inside me. I think you know playing the quarterback position, uh, growing up and having that you know being you know the leader of the offense. Uh, you know, playing it through college. And then getting a couple opportunities, like you said, in the college level to take the reins of an offense and be the play caller. All of that stuff is just in me. It's what I love. It's the passion. And these last couple of years, you know, uh, Matt's been great uh, up and uh, Coach LaFleur has been great in giving us opportunities to do that in the preseason. And so, like, those are just things. You, once you once you touch it, man, you're just like, this is the passion that I have. It's not just a whatever it can, can become out after it. It really isn't. This is just the passion that I have. To be able to have an opportunity to lead men and, um, and and help guide this thing and be a part of something. This I really don't view this thing as just going to be Luke Getty's offense. It's a you know w- was mentioned before. This really isn't going to be that. Okay, this is going to be a collective group doing this together. Um, that we're going to build something that's going to be our own. And so I just have a passion for being uh, involved in that. I really do. And so um, I'm super excited about this opportunity. The group of men that we got together in this coaching staff. I mean. These men, they, 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 they all bought into that. Like I, I laid it out for these guys on this offensive staff that this is, this is the mindset that we want to have. That we want this thing to be ours. This isn't going to be somebody else's or a copycat of somebody else. This is going to be ours. Like we all have our experiences and we're going to put them together and we're going to build this thing together.
0: Next
4: question, Jesse. Hello, Jesse Rogers, ESPN. It's it's almost um, a different version of the same question, but offense is such a hot topic in this town. Are you saying you're basically going to create this offense, create this playbook after getting to know Justin, after getting to know the personnel? Is 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 that what you're saying? It's all going to be together?
1: Well, I, again, I I, I don't. That when you use the word playbook, okay, um, I just have probably a different mindset of what that means maybe than maybe what than what you guys are trying to portray as the playbook. Again, we're going to establish a culture. We're going to have an f- offensive philosophy that we're going to have an approach that we're going to attack these guys and teach them conceptually to start, okay? And so then once you teach them conceptually, now that you get the players in and you start diving into what each guy does well, and then that kind of takes the, the path. I mean, if if you look at previous experiences that I've had, you would think you would see that the offense has changed and evolve as you go through different years. It's not like you run the same football plays every single year or or, uh, from one, from even one game to the next, you're going to evolve. And, you know, if you have these set of players playing in this game and in the next game, those players are injured. You can't do the same thing. So it's all about tapping into what those, you know, the the specific position groups do best. And so uh, when you say the word playbook, Yes, there's going to be a there's going to be conceptual learning that's going to happen um, that we're going to put together. And then as we get into the players and we get to know them, they get to know us. We figure out what we do. Well, then we'll start diving into more specifically, uh, as you would say, playbook type of plays.
0: Next question, Matt Zahn.
3: Hey, Luke, Matt Zahn from CBS2 here. You know, obviously having Aaron Rodgers at a quarterback is going to help any offense, but, you know, his numbers were clearly better the last couple of seasons. What is it about your scheme, you think, that makes life maybe easier for the quarterback, and how can that translate to Justin Fields?
1: Well, again, the, the, the systems that I've been a part of, and specifically these last three years, too, these are quarterback-driven systems, right? So everything is about that, tapping into that position, and building the offense around it. And so when you have somebody that is, you know, a Hall of Fame-type player, you can tap into – you're tapping into some really good things, right? And so it's going to be the same thing that here. You know, we're going to build this thing around this quarterback position. And um, so, you know, obviously when you have that level, you're going to be able to do a a few more things. But, again, it it was a process. It wasn't like we just came in and, and threw stuff at him and he just did it. You know, so that was a process of putting it, you know, laying it down conceptually, philosophically, and then again, and then as we grew together, we were able to build something pretty special.
3: John's one of the things that really stood out to me, I guess, in there was his answer to my question about play calling. And obviously, he's taking this job, leaving a great situation. Well, if Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay, you could tell without even talking to him that the play calling is a big part of this, but to just hear him talk about how that's ingrained in him as a former quarterback. Um, and I also like to hear that that Matt LaFleur gave him some opportunity to call plays in the preseason, which is something that a lot of coaches actually do that you don't necessarily hear about. Matt Nagy did it too uh, with some of his assistants in, in, um, in Chicago. But just to hear that he actually at least got some of that experience in the preseason at the NFL level.
4: Well, here's the thing, though. You don't know, though. We don't know. Like I, like, I had my hand raised to ask a question about the play calling, too. We don't know what type of play caller Luke Getzi is going to be. He's played quarterback before, but he hasn't called plays for Justin Fields before. He hasn't called them for an entire season. So this is a bit different. This is new for Justin Fields. This is new for Luke Getzi, It's new for his entire offensive staff, um, which he's played a huge role in assembling. It's new for Matt Eberflue, so... I think play calling is going to be a very pointed conversation throughout the entire season. I think some of that may be over from the Matt Nagy era with some of us in the media. Now, that's probably unfair for Luke Etsy, but we're so used to it being, for lack of a better way of putting it right now, we're so used to it being a problem for the Bears. Um, It's going to take... Some ups and downs to, to know what Luke Etsy can actually do with Justin Fields. But I, I do like from that clip that we played, he seems to have an idea of what he wants to do offensively, but just how it's going to change. Like he has some concepts, some base concepts he's going to put in, but this is going to e- evolve specifically around Justin Fields. Yeah, you know, Johns, and
3: I think a, a couple things – Actually, one thing stood out on both sides of the ball as these guys talked today. I think it applied to Alan Williams, too. But, you know, one thing Luke Getze made very, very clear today, I thought, is like this is going to be an offense the Bears are creating with the personnel they have. It is not going to be – it is actually in a lot of ways the exact opposite of what just happened with Matt Nagy. Uh, and the, when he came over from Kansas City, which was like, this is my scheme, this is what we're going to run, and we're going to make it work with the people that we have. Where Luke Getz coming around, he's like got all these different influences, and he's saying we're going to build this around the players. And he said specifically, it won't be a copycat offense. I like hearing that because the, the the NFL is too is evolving too much from year to year. That even if you do have an offense you believe in that you want to stick with you still have to evolve every year you still have to make changes so just the fact that they're going to come into this clean they're going to go with the players um, that they have and try to figure out what works for them I think is just I'm, I'm not going to try to make any type of argument that this offense is going to leap into the top 10 in year one by any means whatsoever but it just should work better at least a little bit better with that idea in mind don't you agree
4: I do I do this is well this is the argument about Brian Dable in the bills is it not at least partly this is what happened in Buffalo with Josh Allen and Brian Dable the the Giants have become this year's team to compare the Bears to because of the GM and coaching decisions the idea of pairing Justin Fields with that offensive minded head coach but you know what the Bears just did it in a different way. They got they got this young up-and-coming offensive coordinator first-time play caller who's from various backgrounds in Luke Etsy and he's going to build something around Justin Fields skill set that's what happened in a in, in, in a way in Buffalo now Brian Dable had more play calling experiences and um, he's had more success than Luke Etsy, but they built that offense around what Josh Allen does well It's not the same offense he called at Alabama or the same offense that the Patriots ran with Tom Brady. It was different because Josh Allen, in terms of size, athlete, arm strength, the running ability, is just different than other quarterbacks that Brian Dable had. So we'll see how it translates or how it evolves with Luke Getze and Justin Fields. But I can see the comparisons with Buffalo coming to fruition right now.
3: Yeah, I... Look, I got to say, just like, we've been down this road so many times, and a lot of people I've talked to this week, even down here in L.A., it's that same type of attitude. It's the prove it. We just have to wait and see. But I I really do just get a vibe of of all the hires. I get a vibe that this Luke Getze pairing with Justin Fields will be good. It's. I had this
4: long, yeah. It's just go a ahead. guess. I it's just this. a
3: feeling. There's, a, you know, and we don't know. I'm admitting that, but it's just, it's just a vibe I get. And sometimes, as reporters who cover the team, that's what you, that's what you have to uh, just go off of.
4: Sometimes. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I had this long conversation with uh, Matt Bowen not too long ago. This was before Matt Nagy was fired. We talked at length about what's going on with the Bears' offense, what fits, what doesn't work, what the Bears could do. And he mentioned the Packers' offense is potentially being a good fit. For adjusted fields, uh, just in terms of down-the-field throws, but also just in terms of how direct the throws and reads can be in um, the, the Packers' offense, like like scheme-based throws, like, like there's your primary target, get him the ball, like scheming guys open and making things easy for the quarterback. You hear that and like, oh, they're not doing that for Aaron Rodgers, but you know what they did? There's a lot of examples of that with Devontae Adams. That's why he has so many targets. They would scheme throws for Aaron Rodgers to target Devontae Adams, and it worked. So it'll be interesting to see what he takes from that and brings here. Now there's no Devontae Adams. Justin Fields is obviously not Aaron Rodgers, but just to have those scheme throws to to help your young quarterback, it'll be interesting to see what he draws up coming in 2022.
3: All right. Any more thoughts on the offense before we go to Allen Williams and the defense?
4: I think it's the the amount of times that Luke Getzi said this is quarterback driven, quarterback centric, whatever language he used because he talked for over twenty minutes. But that was my strongest takeaway: how everything will revolve around the quarterback, and of course, that's Justin Fields. I think that's interesting. Um, it's the modern NFL. It's Luke Getzi's philosophy. And I'm just intrigued and interested to see how it it develops here with Fields.
3: You know, I'm going to have a piece on this coming out um, towards the end of the week. Wasn't really planned, but the overall vibe, because I want to share this with with our listeners and Bears fans, the overall vibe from being down here for a week around a lot of people around the NFL, a lot of optimism about Justin Fields. Like, that is an overwhelming thing and almost unanimously criticism of how he was coached as a rookie. Okay, that's not groundbreaking stuff. It's just everybody saw what what we all saw during the season, okay? And I but I do think it's important that a lot of smart football minds seem to think that with better coaching Justin Fields is going to be just fine. Cuz that was not the case when I was in Minnesota after Mitchell Trubisky's rookie year, there was a lot more skepticism. There was some hope, but it was more like, ah, just, I don't know. And I think that's a stark difference that I've felt down here at the Super Bowl this year. John's compared to, uh, was that four years ago in Minnesota? And I think that that matters. It doesn't guarantee success, but I I, I think that that's uh, at least interesting. And the amount of people that also say good things about Luke Getzey, I think that that carries some weight too. So we'll we'll have to see where this thing goes. I do, I have questions about other things that the Bears have done and what they put together, but in terms of the most important thing, getting Luke Getze at this point in his career, giving him this offense with Justin Fields, I think is enough for me to excuse the fact that they did not hire an offensive head coach. Like I feel okay about that. Um, and, and there are others, though, that I've talked to this week that have still been critical about that. Uh, Kevin Clark from The Ringer was one of them. It's like, I don't understand how they didn't hire an offensive head coach, and I get that. I totally get that, but I still think that this setup can work.
4: Well, maybe they didn't like the guys in terms of, of building the culture and turning things around. You know, It's not the, the worst thing in the world to, to hire a defensive-minded coach who has very strong philosophies in building a culture in Matt Eberflus, and let's just be honest. It took Brian Dable four years to become this serious of a head coaching candidate. Now I know he had some interviews last year, but it was year four, after four years, four seasons with Josh Allen that made him this sought after. Yeah. It could take two or three years for Lou Getty to become that guy. It really can. I mean, there'll be some struggles for Justin Fields this season. I mean, no one's this isn't like Adam Gase coming in. When he was already on the head coaching circuit, and all all it took was a 92.3 passer rating <laughs> from Jay Cutler to get a head coaching job down in Miami, of all places. So, I know I'll never yeah.
3: forget, John's that that when John Fox came in, uh, we we asked him, um, and this wasn't even during the press conference. It was later when we were just sitting in a room, kind of getting to know him, and we asked him, like, "You think Adam Gase is a, a realistic option to be your OC?" And he was like. No, he's going to get a head coaching job for sure. Yeah. Um. And then like a few days went by, or a week went by, or whatever, and he didn't get a head coaching job. And so all of a sudden it was like, okay, I guess he's going to be the OC in Chicago. It, but even John at that point did not think he was going to even be able to hire him because that that's how sought after he was as a head coach, or at least they thought he was. Um, and so to your point, yeah, it only took one more year. Um, with some success with Jay Cutler to get
4: him that, that opportunity. Yeah, and this isn't a knock on Luke Etsy but I th- I think it would take quite the turnaround, maybe like a Joe Burrow-like turnaround for him to become that head coach in Canada. And, he, and even if he does, that could be just one or two interviews and he doesn't get the job. Maybe teams start feeling him out. But at this point in Luke Etze's career, he's not that. He no. just isn't. And I think that's fair. It's not a knock on him. It's just a fair assessment of where he is currently in his coaching career. This is the first time he's calling plays in the NFL. So let's not get too carried away. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't
0: get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. Learn more at marines.com.
3: All right, uh, defensive-wise, Alan Williams, we talked, touched on him a little bit off the jump. Um, you know, some of the, uh, the experience factor that you kind of get, that vibe you feel right away talking to him. And he has been around the block. Um, let's hear, though, some of the stuff he had to say today. He was asked specifically um, and had a pretty strong answer on this one. Uh, getting to work with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Remember the Colts? The Colts didn't really have elite pass rushers down there uh, in Indianapolis. So, yeah, he gets he gets these guys, and uh, he seems pretty excited about it.
0: I would think it's got to be exciting coming in here knowing you're switching to a 4-3 and you're inheriting a couple guys in Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn who've played in base 4-3 packages before. But they're also middle-aged, and I wonder how difficult is it and, and how long does it take to evaluate – where they're at in your careers to decide whether you're going to build this defense around them or whether you have to prepare to move on.
2: Yeah. Um, well, first, I'd say you have no idea how exciting it is to be here and and having those having those guys. Um, second, I would say shame on you to say middle aged when we we're in the uh, age of uh, our athletes um, taking care of their bodies, um, eating better. Um, going playing longer. Um, uh, you're a sports guy. Um, I know we're on defense, but Tom Brady just retired. So um, when you go middle aged, um, I think we need to broaden that term. I'm not sure what middle aged is. Um, I keep looking at myself, and I'm 50 something, and I keep thinking, you know what? I'm a young man. I'm not at the the end. So uh, I would say that to that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to open up my scope. I'm going to think outside the box and then I'll wait for those guys to show me, uh, what they have, uh, as far as I know. And I have, again, I haven't looked at it, uh, in detail, but as far as I know, (laughs) those guys are, are still productive. So, um, I would say, uh, uh, if you go middle-aged and you're telling me, Hey, this is the middle and we're, we're looking at it like this. I'm good to go. So that means they have uh, a lot of years left uh, and a lot of tread on the tires. So with that uh, in, in mind, I'm I'm excited.
4: I don't like the idea that's, that, that's kind of out there right now that the Bears are automatically going to turn the page on like Cleo Mack and Robert Quinn. I get that they have to be like they need to get younger at that position. They're both over 30. But Robert Quinn is just coming off a record-setting year for the Bears in sacks. And Khalil Mack, like if you trade him, it's gonna cost you a lot of money to trade him. So why not try to to get one or two more seasons out of him because of that contract? Give him a chance in that loaf system. Give him a chance to, to put his hand in the dirt and not always be, you know, in an upright stance. Um <laughs> I strongly believe, and I think you heard it there from Alan Williams, that Iberflus and Williams are extremely intrigued. By what Mac and Quinn can bring off the edges this year for their defense
3: yeah I mean they 're getting two really good pass rushers, but here 's where I have a problem uh, It was a totally fair question from Har- Hub Arkish uh, in the way that he phrased that you know it is so quite frankly irresponsible to com- to to say that because Tom Brady just played to almost forty five uh, that 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 uh, t- two two guys that play in the trenches um, can just keep going and going and going without hesitation. We've seen it here with Khalil Mack now the last two years. Injuries have been a factor. They were a problem for Robert Quinn the year before last. So it's a completely fair question to bring up because what you just said, Johns, I totally agree with it. Yeah, if those guys are healthy in this defense, it should be you know, they should, they should probably have one of the best pass rushing duos, if not the best in football next year, you know? But that's I don't know how realistic that is to just expect that those guys are all going to play seventeen games. So, um, come on, you can't just be, oh Tom Brady played till he's forty four, so uh, Khalil Mack can play till he's forty. Like that's not going to happen. These guys no no it's not going to happen. Not quarterbacks. No, but, but
4: but but you've seen pass rushers produce in, the, in their thirties. This this could be it for them. Well, that's what I mean. Like Robert
3: Quinn just did that. Great, but. Yes, Von Miller's how many careers, doing it right now. Yeah. How many, yeah, Von Miller's doing but he wasn't before. And so, um, it, just how many careers have we seen just all of a sudden the door slams, bam, like that?
4: Well, Jared Allen would be the best example of that because we yeah. saw that door slam shut and essentially locked until he was <laughs> traded here in Chicago. got a nice parting um,
3: gift from the Bears.
4: Yeah, and, and well, there was a scheme change. He was in a 3-4. He did get a nice parting gift. I remember him being so thankful that he was traded, but... I'm willing to give, like, and I think Williams and Iberflus are willing to give them a chance. I would be willing to give them the chance at least one more year because you can't turn the page on these guys and hand over the keys to Travis Gibson right away. You just can't. You don't have their replacements yet, and it may take one or two years to find those replacements. You know, it's passers and pass rushers, right? That's where it starts. You got your passer. You need younger pass rushers, but you don't have them on the roster right now. You may not have them after this year either you only have five picks so i wouldn't be so quick to get them off your roster until you have some young capable replacements in the pipeline
3: all right well one guy we know that he can count on um and is much younger is roquan smith and uh alan williams also had some things to say about roquan smith today so uh Number 58, probably going to be the, the biggest key player in the longest time, uh, assuming they extend them, which I think they'll take care of. Uh, but here he is on number 58.
0: Alan, Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. Good to see you again.
2: Dan, very good to see you again.
0: The um, different version of kind of what Dion asked, but with Roquan Smith and, and knowing how uh, you guys like to play your linebackers, do you see any parallels between him and Darius? Are there any things initially that you're, you're eager to tap into with Roquan?
2: Yeah, uh, Production. Uh, both guys are extremely productive. Uh, both guys are, uh, athletic, uh, both guys. Um, they, you can tell they like football, uh, by the way they play you, when you go, when you look at the tape, um, you don't have to be a a football aficionado to go, you know what, the way that dude plays, he likes ball. Uh, Roquan likes ball. Um, Roquan loves ball. Uh, and, and when you have a guy that loves ball and you're as smart as he is, and I remember him coming out of the combine, um, even as a uh, defensive backs coach, um, his reputation preceded him. So he was a guy that said, um, hey, he's quick twitch. He's fast. He's instinctive. He's a leader. So when you have a guy like that, um, that's a guy that you want in the middle of the field. And that's a guy that, um, uh, that you're looking forward to um, getting to know that you're looking forward to coaching.
0: And then also on a side note, your your previous experience coordinating is a long way back now, but is there anything from those two years in the coordinator role in Minnesota that you can apply now, even though there's so much gap between the, the two stints?
2: Yeah. Um, you know what? If, if I were to say no to that question, <laughs> that'd be a shame on me. Uh, and, and there, yeah, there are some things that um, one is just the experience of doing your job over and over and over again, and then. Um, uh, knowing different things, so uh, I've had the chance to be in a few, uh, few different systems. So now you're bringing uh, to the experience that I had uh, in um, in that other team, <laughs> and uh, and now you you have uh, the experience of different coverages, the experience of different fronts, the experience of different techniques, and then just the do over. And I won't say uh, exactly what I'd like to do over, but you. You learn from your mistakes, you learn the things that you did well, and you um, and you take those things and you put that in a bucket and you say, take these things forward. And then um, uh, ultimately, you uh, you try not to dwell on the past and you you move forward and um, and you 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 try to be self-aware and evaluate yourself in a very um, in a systematic way without being too hard or, or too lenient. And. Um, and you take those experiences and you try to improve.
4: My first thought on this when he was talking about Roquan Smith is just seconds earlier. Like he resisted the temptation to go through his roster on defense, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he resisted the temptation to evaluate what he's inheriting from Sean Desai. But then once Dan Weeder got specific with Roquan Smith, you could just see him light up. Yeah. like We, we know Roquan Smith is the guy. And uh, if, if you're Matt Eberflus and Alan Williams and you're taking over this defense and you have a guy like this already that you don't have to go find him in the draft, that is an amazing starting point to have because we know how these defenses are built. You need that defensive lineman at three technique, that athletic, middle, weak side linebacker, however you want to phrase it, and then you need that free safety to have Roquan Smith at this point they should be ecstatic,
3: but you bring up some other questions there that they don't have because who is the three technique? Um, and actually, Iberflus has talked in the past: the, the third position is not necessarily the free safety; it's the the slot corner. They don't have slot corners, um, so you know. But yeah, obviously, having Roquan Smith is uh, a big key, big key piece to the puzzle. But that, when we start looking, and we'll probably dive into this more in the next couple weeks and into free agency in March, but like the, the, they have to fill other spots on this defense um, to really make it work the way they want to work. Now, one thing I did like hearing from Alan Williams though today, kind of, and it actually caught me off guard almost a little bit toward, it was towards the end. And he, he did say, you know, if we, if we decide that, um, what did he say? He said, if I like zone coverage, but if we have a bunch of guys that are better playing man, we're going to play man defense. We're going to be a, a four down front. If we got a guy or two that's really good at two-gapping, then we're going to two-gap. So it's sort of that same idea on offense where they're showing a willingness to not be stubborn over the scheme that they know and care about. So um, I'm interested to see how that plays out, especially if they can't fill all these spots. Maybe they can't find their three technique right away. Um how do they make it work?
4: Yeah, I think what will be abundantly clear by probably the start of training camp is that this isn't the Tampa 2 that everybody remembers, and it shouldn't be because the NFL has changed. All the rules are skewed towards the offense, particularly the quarterback. And Matt Eberflus himself has said this multiple times now, and his defense, if you look at it in Indianapolis, was very varied. In its coverages. You can't just run two deep safeties and cornerbacks in the flats anymore. Even the Bears and Lovey Smith didn't do all that. So, I I just think it's the culture that those guys start with that they want to bring. I think that's where it starts. That's where the transition will start. But in terms of scheme and stuff and players and personnel, yeah, the Bears are missing some pieces defensively starting up front there in the middle of the defensive line.
3: Any other final thoughts on the defense? Do we need a full po- We need a full podcast for the special teams breakdown, right?
4: <laughs> did, did you like all my questions about Robbie Gold? I did. I did. And he didn't really give you any how, good answers. How could you but... not ask about Robbie Gold kicking between cheerleaders and kicking over Packers and through, through the
3: Rams? Like,
4: Dude, those were some of the most viral clips from the playoffs.
3: They're funny, but also I don't know why it's such a big deal. That's absolutely what you should be doing as a kicker. Yeah, no distractions like whatever's around you. That should help him. We do the same. I know it sounds stupid. We do the same thing at the high school level before games because we don't really even have like a time period where the kicker can get out there. It's just so crunched. So like the offense is like running their walkthrough right in the middle of the kicker trying to kick. And I'm like, this is good. If you can get a kickoff like this with all this going on, like it's going to help you in the game.
4: Yeah, and it sends a message too.
3: Like, oh yeah, and I think that that went above and beyond, and uh, probably pissed but some th- th- people that off. That was
4: Robbie having some s- some balls and some bravado. Let's let's be honest. Like yeah. you want to walk up on me, Rams? I'm going to kick this right through you <laughs> once you give me that. Opening. Which is awesome. Love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> love it. I love it. But yeah, that's another podcast if you want to do that one.
3: Well, maybe I'll have maybe Kevin will do that one with me. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we wrap things up with the Super Bowl? There is a big yeah. game on Sunday.
4: Yeah. Do I you want to start with bull predictions? Picks. I, I still. You look. tell me what the buzz in town is. You're there. Those teams are there. You've talked to those guys. I got a lot of people who are who are
3: feeling the Bengals' love. A lot of people. And, and, and they do and seem is, to have. Is that
4: just everybody? Like, go ahead. There's
3: something about them, right? And there's something about Joe Burrow that you just want to trust. The thing that I just keep coming back to. And by the way, whichever team I pick will be wrong. I think I'm on a four-game losing streak um, in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> in Super Bowls, yeah. I think I had um, I had the Patriots beating the Eagles wrong. I had uh, then I overcompensate. Sit- sit- well, no,
4: yeah. You picked the Niners over the Chiefs.
3: No, I think that one maybe I did get right. I forget, but I definitely got the Rams Patriots one wrong too. And then I got last year's wrong, so maybe it's three out of four years. So uh, fade me for sure. I just can't get over the fact that the Bengals' biggest weakness, offensive line, they have Aaron Donald, they have Von Miller. Like I just think over the course of the game that has to win out. But we've been saying that about the Bengals the whole playoffs, and they and they find ways to do it. So I, I'm still kind of torn on this, to be honest. As we, uh, it's still Thursday, so I got a couple more days.
4: I think everybody loves a good underdog story, and that's the Bengals. Everybody's re- re- like rooting for the Bengals. It's Cincinnati. It's the Bengals. Like I-, I get it, but to your point, we saw the Bears' defensive line get after the Bengals. Now that was a long time ago, but didn't the Titans just sack Joe Burrow nine times in the, the was that the final round of the playoffs? Like. I know, but like it's remarkable you can't expect to do that against Aaron Donald Leonard Floyd von Miller and Jalen Ramsey right you
3: got if, nine if, times if, you won you trailed uh twenty one to three to the chiefs on the road won like
4: well here's the thing like if <laughs> if the Chiefs defense isn't the Titans defense, but the like the Rams are a blend of both teams right because mm-hmm. they're potent in offense and they have the star power. On defense, if the Rams get close to nine sacks and Joe Burrow, this game is over. I'm sorry, it's over because this isn't Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry playing in his first game back in in months. This is the high-powered Rams with Matthew Stafford, with a lot of proof with Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr. just just weapons galore. Like, you don't think that's a better team than the Titans?
3: Oh, I definitely do. Again, they just did this to the Chiefs. They did it to Mahomes. Yeah, but, but in the second half, call.
4: it's not. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, now
3: I think the, the question there the is how much? How much was it what the Bengals did, and how much of it was just the Chiefs kind of being the Chiefs? Like, if they have one fault, it's almost an overconfidence to like, hey, this is what we do. We're going to keep doing it. Mahomes trying to do a little bit too much uh, in that second half. What their I, defense
4: I mean, I, isn't the same as the Rams. Yeah, no. I know what you're saying, but all right. You got a bold prediction? Bold prediction is Aaron Donald. No, 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 no. How about this? Jalen Ramsey will be the MVP of this game, and Ooh. the Rams are going to win by 10. What's the- I think the – What's the last defensive MVP? I- oh, good question. Well, here there we go. Maybe Von Miller. You're looking it up.
3: Maybe Von Miller. Von Miller. The Super- uh, that that would have been the one you covered. It would have been the next year
4: the next year yeah. where Gary Kubiak's Broncos not John Fox's Broncos beat the um Cam Newton
3: they just they, they look, look at that a game. One, it was a one on one game against Cam Newton there's nobody yeah, else on Yeah the and,
4: and they and, and they beat Cam Newton up yeah. that, that entire game um I think the Rams jump out to a big lead Burrow and company make make it interesting but Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, Odell they make enough plays um, by the end. So, give me Jalen Ramsey winning winning the MVP of this game. That's a huge bowl and, prediction. And the Rams by 10. By 10? By wow. 10.
3: Wow, all Rams. All Rams. I
4: think, that, what's the line right now? Rams are uh, minus three and a half.
3: Okay. Um, yeah, I think the Bengal, Bengals cover... But I am going to pick the Rams. I think this is going to be a good game. I just think there's something about these Bengals that is going to keep it close. I think, you know, in terms of a bold prediction, how about uh, Jamar Chase over uh, hundred and twenty-five yards receiving? in two Ooh, touchdowns. I was going to say
4: like one seventy-five.
3: I mean, that's still a lot. Didn't
4: he just have like 200 yards receiving in a game, like three touchdowns? Wait a minute.
3: Dude, 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 you just picked Jalen Ramsey to win the MVP. (laughs) I know. know. If that happens, Jamar Chase is getting like four yards.
4: I'm just trying to, you know, (laughs) define what bold means to you right now.
3: He's going up against Jalen Ramsey. I think that that's very bold. Two touchdowns, 125. That's actually well, borderline with, insane it makes no sense
4: with, with ramsey getting mvp in my hypothetical yeah it's a couple picks maybe a sack maybe a big hitter here or there just being a difference maker he can be
3: we need a ref- we we need to change the name of this segment to borderline insane predictions <laughs> cuz that was uh that was one of them by me no that
4: was my Cole Clement. You know, recurring touchdown prediction—that yeah. was that was the definition of insanity, right there. Yeah,
3: that was that was poor Cole Komet. Yeah, that one in the Carolina though, with Nick Foles, right? A couple of years ago. Um, he did. All right, so we are. I am going to go with the Rams to win the game, though. I, I think the Bengals cover, though. I hope it's that close. I hope it's that entertaining. I'm excited about the halftime show. Same here. I actually am, and I'm not staying for the game this year. And I kind of wish I was just for that. Although I learned, I learned in uh, Minnesota a few years ago that the uh, with the Justin Timberlake halftime show that it's 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 way better on TV than it is.
4: Oh, in the state completely. I can't, can't even, even remember the halftime shows.
3: Yeah, it's not I've rigged covered. like a concert, like where the only thing that matters is how it sounds in the building. It, all they care about is how it sounds on TV because there's hundred million people watching it on television. Um, there's only what seventy thousand in the stadium, so. Yeah. Um, oh, actually,
4: I I want to correct myself. I do remember the Katy Perry one because I covered that Super Bowl, and the wasn't it like a thrusting shark or something like that? Like, yeah, left shark. Yeah, left shark. I do remember that. Left Shark he is here. They have it the, at the Super Bowl experience. Left Shark is here. They have the actual Left Shark here at the. You can come see it at the Super Bowl experience if you're oh, in LA. My
3: God, I'm gonna have to go do that. Before. Why you yeah. haven't posted picture that picture
4: on Instagram, Adam? Yet, is beyond I, me.
3: I didn't know. He, I didn't, I don't know. I'm more of a Right Shark kind of guy. I guess. Yes. Careful! Now we're getting political. I don't know what's happening.
4: All right, <laughs> I was going to make a political <laughs> joke. There. Um.
3: All right. I think. I guess we made our predictions. We're good.
4: That's it. You you enjoy the rest of your time in L.A.
3: Thanks. Big night, Hall of Fame. We didn't really talk about Devin Hester yet. The problem is a lot of people will listen to this by Friday, and so it's a tough topic to as we're recording right now. But that's true. I I get a vibe. That is a busy
4: table by you guys. There Uh, are a lot of people I've seen come by.
3: Oh yeah the uh, the athletic has closed in. You're the only one not here, quite frankly. Kent yeah, and I had a nice okay. dinner the other night with, like, basically the entire athletic world. And we were just missing Johns.
4: When are you going to do what Tice and Mays did where you had, like, the athletic competition? I'd like to see that video between you and Finley. And if you do have the competition, like, outplace money on you. So, like, don't oh, let me down. against
3: Finley? Dude, I it's, ran a 515 a couple years ago. Mark Carmen was there. He can back me up on that with our, you know, with our guys at TC Boost. Tommy Christian yeah, said he would Finley. get me under five. Like, I, Go do it. <laughs> get me under five. Oh, I would guarantee you I've lost time since then. The pandemic has done really bad yeah, things I, to I me I don't, in my uh, athleticism.
4: I don't think Pat Finley could break Rich Eisen's mark, so. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute.
3: I hope you're putting money on me in that. It would be insulting if you were yes, not in that matchup. Yes. Come I would on. just
4: like to see the dominance from my podcast partner.
3: Well, I don't want to – I don't know if this is any spoiler alerts, but I heard Robert Mays beat Nate Tyson in a throwing competition.
4: Oh, that's, that's, that's
3: the rumor going around. So that's uh, that's
4: actually uh, not good.
3: I know. So I think on, I don't, the, I think that video for our listeners they can find it on YouTube eventually. I don't. Is it up already, Kent?
4: Yeah, the Athletic YouTube, I believe. Okay, or the Athletic on Twitter. Check it out. Yeah. I, I gotta watch. That's that. not good. Nate Tice played. He was a college quarterback, and and Robert Mays was an offensive lineman at Barrington High School, I believe. <laughs> Nate Tice backed up Russell Wilson.
3: I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah,
4: totally. Nate had the velocity, but Robert had the aim. It was an aim.
3: Yeah. Game. Well, that's because he's a long snapper. Yep. You know? And I got to get, get him out to work with my guys after that performance. I mean, Robert yeah, Mays cool. has earned a lot of respect on this trip with me. Not that he didn't already have it. By the way, if you missed that episode on Tuesday, you should go back and check it out. Good stuff uh, with Robert Mays on, on the episode the other day. All right. A lot, lot of good stuff there on the coordinators, Super Bowl. Appreciate everybody listening, watching this week. Um, please check out all of our content on NBC Sports Chicago, too. Uh, a lot of interviews there, a lot of stuff coming from Radio Row. Um, and NBCSportsChicago.com, TheAthletic.com, slash Hogan Johns, where you go to subscribe, where you should be subscribed. YouTube is the place to be. Subscribe on there. Hit the notification buttons and all of the merchandise up on ObviousShirts.com. Kent's rocking the hat. Can I turn this without ruining um get in there, Kent? Show him the beautiful hat. There's a sweet photo he posted on Instagram, too. With the back of the
1: obvious shirts.com.
4: People don't get hat.
3: to see Kent. See? We gotta we're here in person. We don't get to see Kent. So I gotta take advantage of this opportunity. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy the <laughs> Thanks, game, Ken. everyone. We'll be back next week to wrap things up from the Super Bowl. And uh, Yeah, hope it's another good one.
1: See ya! Anyway, uh, who cares?